have invested in you. Everything that is needful for you to rise above the circumstances that seem so big right now. I'm not only your savior, I'm the enabler to enable you to rise above the circumstances that seem to overwhelm you. So look to me and, and you will see the life abundant that I've provided for you. So don't allow the lie. Don't allow the deception upon you and say to you you're an exception it won't work for you but I say this day is a new day a new day for you if you will receive and accept what I've given to you and with that gift take it and rise above the circumstances and don't allow them to rule your life any longer. For this is the victory that has already overcome the world. It's your faith. Your faith in me, your faith in the completed works. Know that I've done it. And know that I will not fail you says the Lord, because failure is not part of who I am. You're an overcomer. 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 You are an overcomer. Through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, in your life. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we overcome because of Jesus, because of what he's done. We agree with him. We agree with him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I guess you can go ahead and sit down. Praise the Lord. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. You know, sometimes when I'm up here, it may appear that I don't know what I'm doing. There's a reason for that. I don't know what I'm doing.
Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. Well, Hallelujah. I, I love the Middle East. So, uh, you know, we don't invest in the Middle East right now. So, uh, I want to. The Middle East. You know what? They need Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. And you know what? They can, they can be one without compromise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for Jesus, where would we be? But for Jesus. And so they need Jesus. And I just, I just love young couples that are willing to what the world would look upon as sacrifice, but they see as a privilege and an honor to go and invest their lives in a people that most have given up on, but God's not given up on them. Hallelujah. And so, uh, praise the Lord. I have to ask Cornelius after the service again because you know how wonderful I am with names. And so I met him right before church, but I can't remember their names. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But God is good. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What a wonderful Savior we serve. Let's just worship him. Father, we worship you. 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 Father, thank you for individuals that are willing that when they hear the call, they respond, they go. And Father, we believe with them that, is, that you're going to perform a mighty work in that Middle East, that many, many souls are going to come to know the true Savior, Jesus. Use this young couple for your glory. Thank you, Father, for the wisdom that you've given them to be able to, to learn and understand and comprehend the language so that they can more effectively reach those people. Bless them, Father. Minister your grace to them, Father. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. He's so good. So good, so good, so good. Hallelujah. It's the grace of God. It's not just going out and doing a bunch of work. It's 
It's the grace of God that's in operation. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to talk with you today about the consequences of falling from grace. I think oftentimes we think of falling from grace as losing our salvation or something like that, but if you study what the scripture has to say about that, it has absolutely nothing to do with um, losing salvation. What we're going to see this morning is what it's talking about is making a transition, taking a step from trusting in God and in His grace where we begin to try to do it in our own works. You know, um, for this young couple going to the Middle East, it's so important for the grace of God to be in operation in their life because in the natural, it's hopeless. In the natural, it's hopeless for them to even survive. But because of the grace of God, he, he empowers them to do the work, to do what God's called them to do. But you know what? The same thing is true for each and every one of us. It's the grace of God that's in operation in our lives that empowers us to do whatever it is that we need to do. You know, we, we can't we can't earn God's love. We can never be good enough to deserve God's love. Cindy can't do anything to earn God's healing in her life. But through the broken body of Jesus, that, like she gave me a word that's this long, you know, what are you thinking? I can't pronounce that. And so we speak healing to her leg right now in Jesus' name. Yes. It belongs to her. Yes. Jesus paid the price. She can't do anything to earn or deserve it. Because you may not know this about Cindy but she doesn't deserve it. And neither do I, neither do you. But it's the grace of God that has provided healing for that leg so that next week, not this coming week, but the following week, she's gonna be up on the stage and she's gonna be dancing for those kids at camp. And she's gonna be doing her um, professor Whatever he is, he's a weird dude. Don't you, know? Don't you know what his name is? I forget, Cindy, forgive me. Dr. Rubenstein. Dr. Rubenstein. <laughs> Dr. Rubenstein is one ugly critter. <laughs> but it's all the grace of God. And so, there's consequences from falling from the grace of God and the consequences that we try to do it in our own strength and we can't do it. You know, the number one place where repentance is needed in our life is repentance from dead works. 
Isn't it interesting in Galatians, or excuse me, in Hebrews 6 chapter, the first and second verse, where it gives the, the, the six elementary or foundational principles of Christ that I believe all doctrine is built upon. The six fundamental principles of Christ are faith towards God, and the second one is repentance from dead works. It's not just simply repentance. It's repentance from dead works. You know what dead works are? Dead works are anything that you do, that you try to do, to gain favor with God. Well, Pastor, aren't we supposed to do good things? Yeah, but we don't do it to try to get favor. We do it because we have favor. We do it because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to John, the 20th chapter. John, the 20th chapter and the 30th verse. You know, <clears throat> throughout the scripture we have the examples of things that Jesus did acts of grace that Jesus performed on the earth. Do you, do you realize that this, that everybody that Jesus healed when he, in his earthly ministry, none of them did anything to deserve it. He healed harlots. He healed people that were breaking the law. The woman with the issue of blood at the time that she was healed was breaking the Mosaic law because she was out in public and she had an issue of blood. She, was to be, she should have been taken to the edge of the city and stoned. There was a woman caught in the very act of adultery who was brought before Jesus and Jesus, rather than condemning her for the act, forgave her. That's the grace and the mercy of God that's been made available to each and every one of us. And, and every one of those acts of grace and mercy that we see in the scripture is to be an example for us to look to, to, to confirm and reaffirm to us the love and the goodness of God. But listen to this. And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. In other words, all of the signs that we did see, it's not the half of it. Remember when, um, who was it that went to see Solomon, the queen of Sheba? And everything that she had heard about Solomon, and then she went and she said, we didn't hear the half of it. In other words, there was so much more. Let me tell you something. You three, you read through the Gospels and everything that you see about Jesus in the Gospels, understand this, you haven't seen the half of it. No matter how wonderful you may think Jesus is, when you three read through the Gospels, you ain't seen nothing yet. You see, the reason I know it is because of what he's done in my life. 
The reason you know it is because of what he's done in your life. And so he says, <clears throat> if, he, if everything was put down, there wouldn't be enough to write it. But these are written that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Notice, the believing is just the beginning. In the believing, we begin to experience life in that name. Or we could put it this way. We begin to receive life in everything that that name represents. Now, the thing we need to understand, we talked about this before, when you talk about Jesus, Jesus and grace are synonymous with one another. Jesus is not just simply graceful. Jesus is grace. And so everything, I was spitting on her. Everything that grace represents and is, is what Jesus is. Jesus is healing. Jesus is prosperity. Jesus is deliverance. We sang about this morning that the name, that wonderful name, that name that's above every other name. And why is that name so wonderful? Why is that name above every other name? Because in that name is the fullness of everything that God desires for us to experience. Listen to this in John 1:17. And again, these passages are all passages that you're familiar with. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Grace, truth, Jesus, they're synonymous with one another. You will never fully experience truth until you've experienced Jesus. And when you've experienced Jesus, you'll experience grace and truth, or all the graces of God will be made available to each and every one of us. Now, the laws of Moses didn't produce life. The laws of Moses, not the laws itself, but the fact that man could not keep the law. The law produced death. Paul made the statement, he says, I was alive. Once and the law revived and I died. What does that mean? That means when we get to that point and we understand the difference between righteousness and sin is the law that does that to us. You know, I've, I've said this before too. People oftentimes say, well, pastor, you just don't like the law. I love the law. I love the law. If it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known that I was a sinner in need of God's grace. I wouldn't have known that I needed a savior. It was because of the law that I knew 
that I needed a savior in my life. And the same thing is true for each and every one of us. It was the law that revealed that to us. But this is what 2 Corinthians 3 says about the law. Seventh verse. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, this is talking about the Ten Commandments. And it's saying, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses. Remember when uh, Moses came down off the mountain, he glowed, and every time he'd go in and he'd meet with, with God, his, his face would glow, and, and, and so they put a veil over it. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but in my early Christian days, I thought the veil was put over his face because the people were afraid to look at him. I've run into some people I wish they'd put a veil over their face. <laughs> but I thought that was why they put the veil over, but they didn't. The veil was put over his face because the glory would lift. And they didn't want the people to see that the glory had lifted. You see, you may be able to keep the law for a time, but I'll guarantee you something, it'll be a short time. And see what the law does, it ministers condemnation in our lives. Because what the law does is it continually reminds us of our failures, of our shortcomings. If I spend all of my day focused on the law, what I will see are all of my shortcomings. I will see all of my failings. And what will, be, what will happen is I will be drawn in that direction. But you know what? If I focus on the grace of God, if I focus on the completed works of Jesus, if I focus on what he has done for me, I'll be drawn in that direction. And you know what? I'll be free from guilt and condemnation and shame. Amen. Guilt, condemnation, and shame are the consequences of falling from grace. Because falling from grace means that I no longer trust God completely, but I begin to have confidence and I begin to trust myself. I begin to think I can do it. Well, I'm convinced of something. I can't. But through Jesus Christ and through his grace at work and operating in my life, I can do all things through Christ as he strengthens me. But when I trust in myself, you see, <clears throat> we can't do both. You're either going to trust in Christ, you're either going to trust in Jesus, or you're going to trust in yourself. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stone was glorious, because it was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily in the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. 
Any glory you get from keeping the law is short term. It won't last. Listen to this in Romans, the 11th chapter. Romans, the 11th chapter in the 6th verse. It says, For if by grace, so if you're operating by grace, so if by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Now, I didn't say that. Paul said that in Romans. Listen to this again. For if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now that sounds kind of confusing, but it's really very simple. If you're trusting in your own efforts, you're no longer walking in the grace of God. You're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in your own ability. But if you're trusting in the grace of God, it's no longer works because it's by grace. You know what that does? That means we no longer have anything to be boastful about. That means I no longer have anything to look down my pointy nose at anybody else about because it's by grace. I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. I think oftentimes we, we can look at the ministry of Jesus and uh, the people that Jesus ministered to, the down and out, the prostitute, the beggar, those are the ones that, that Jesus ministered to. And, and I, well, and then tax collectors. But he had no problem with it. You know why? Because he knew it wasn't about them. He knew it was about the works that he had performed for each and every one of us. He knew that it was about his coming, death, burial, and resurrection, that that was the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not man's ability to keep a bunch of laws. It's not about man's ability to be plugged into the right system, whatever it might be. There is only one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through Him. And let me tell you something. It's time for us as believers to shout it from the rooftops. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There is no other way but 
through Jesus. Is that clear? Now you think, well, pastor, that, that's clear. No, it's not clear. Because we have denominations asking Allah to bless our Lord. That ain't gonna happen. Because my Lord, Jesus, is far, far greater. He is the way. They're not preaching in the Middle East. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. They're preaching Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There is no other way but through Jesus. Let me tell you something. The moment we are ashamed of that truth, we're in trouble. It's time to start reading Revelation at that point because you've gone from being hot to lukewarm to cold. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so in our lives, we have to realize I'm not the one that's doing it. Jesus has already done it for me and through the Holy Spirit, he's working through me. That's it. The night that God called me, Jesus called me into the ministry. I had this discussion with him. I informed him that he had made a mistake. That it isn't possible for me to be in the ministry. I can't read. I'm stupid. I'm afraid to get in front of people. I had all the excuses. And that night he dropped a dream in me and in that dream he gave me the message, he gave me the scripture, he gave me everything and at the end of it he says, see you don't have to do it. You just have to allow me to do it through you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you don't have to do it. You simply need to allow him to do it through you because guess what? Through the grace of God, he is well able. It's when we try to do it in our own strength, our own ability, that we get in trouble. I remember my, we were up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, in the church up there, and it was a Wednesday, Wednesday evening. <clears throat> and I decided I was going to teach this subject. You know, and I'm more of a preacher than I am a teacher, but especially then, but I was going to teach that night. And, I got started and I'm stammering and stuttering all over the place and, and I realized this is me. There ain't no Holy Ghost to be found any place in the building because it's all me. So about halfway through it, I couldn't, I, 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 can, I can't imagine what the people were going through. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I finally just said, you know what? forgive me and go home. <laughs> I knew it was me. 
Let me tell you something. You know when it's you. You know how you know when it's you? Because when it's you, you take the credit. And when it's you, you feel the shame and guilt afterwards when it doesn't go right. But when it's the grace of God, you realize you're not depending on you. You're depending on Him and on Him alone. And if it's by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You know, when Moses came down off the mountains, the people were prideful. I mean, sometimes pride disguises itself as being so spiritual. But you know, it, it can disguise itself. And, and so when Moses came down with the, the Ten Commandments, listen to this out of Exodus 19.8. It says, then all the people answered together and said, you see, he asked them if they'd, if they'd keep the command. And all the people said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Oh, that, isn't that wonderful? They said, all that the Lord has told us to do, we will do it. What a spiritual bunch of people. Do you know what? We have the same thing today. There's people saying, all that the Lord has told us to do, we will do. There's one problem with that. We can't. The one thing the law revealed to us is we can't. We need a Savior. And so oftentimes what appears to be so spiritual it's really revealing how arrogant we are in the flesh because we think we can do it in our own strength and our own ability. You know, <clears throat> I'm 68. Mom just turned 98. Dad died at 98. Grandpa Schroeder died at 99. Great-great-grandpa Schroeder died at 90-something other. So I figure I got a good 30 years left in me. But you know what? Even if I live beyond that, I'll not be able to do it in my own strength. I'll always be completely dependent upon the grace of God, upon Jesus in my life. There will never come that day until either I die or we get caught up in the air. There won't be 
perfection in my life. If you don't believe me, just ask Pastor Becky. She can inform you. We need him. And we need grace. We will always need grace. And we will always need to continue to grow in grace. Why? Because we don't know the half of it. Because God has so much more for us than we've come to know, that we can ever even think of or imagine. There is so much more available to us. And so we need to recognize him and yield him and acknowledge him in everything that we do. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 17th verse, This is Jesus speaking and he says, and do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot nor one tittle will by any means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. There isn't one part of it that's going to pass away. Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for you and I because he is not born of humanity from the standpoint of having an earthly father and so that sin wasn't passed on to him. He was the perfect sacrifice and he lived the perfect life so that we could be forgiven perfectly. And so because now we are in Christ, when God looks upon us, he doesn't see us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. Didn't take it away, he fulfilled it. And what that means is, if you're still gonna live your life trying to fulfill the law, you must fulfill the law. Every point. And under the law, if you fail in one point, you failed in all. In other words, if you say a little white lie, you're an adulterer and a murderer. Under the law. But we're not under the law. Get here, praise the Lord. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Jesus fulfilled the law for you and I. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been forgiven. It's as if we have never sinned. We are justified. We are the righteousness of God in, through Christ Jesus. Now, we look at other, one another differently. We look at one another and we see a past. We look at one another and we see shortcomings. We see failings. 
But that's because we're looking through the flesh. But God sees us through the Spirit, and he doesn't, he doesn't see any of those things because those things were washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his grace that did it. It wasn't my living right. Does that mean we're not supposed to live right or we're not supposed to try to live right? Of course we're supposed to. But we don't do it to gain something. We do it because of what we have. We have a marvelous, perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. It says the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Now don't misunderstand me. The law is wonderful. The law is beautiful. The law is holy. But when we're under the law, it gives sin strength in our life. Because once again, we move from grace to works. We move from trusting in Jesus into trusting ourselves. We begin to rely on ourselves and, and, and depend on our ability to do the right thing rather than trusting in, depending upon him. Romans 3.20 says, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Pastor, why are you sharing those things? They're kind of negative. Well, I want us to see the consequences of us trying to do it in our own ability. When we try to do it in our own ability, the very thing, remember Paul made this statement. He says, this is Schroeder's paraphrase, but he says, the very thing I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. And why is that? It's because he's focusing on that. What are you focusing on in life? Are you focusing on what you don't want to do? Or are you focusing on what Jesus has already accomplished for you in life? You dwell upon, this is what Jesus has done for me. You know, <clears throat> we talk about confession. And oftentimes what we do is we focus on confession of sin. But oftentimes what confession of sin reminds us of the sin. And therefore we focus on it. The Bible talks a whole lot more about confessing what Jesus has accomplished for us. Why? Because it, it focuses on the completed works. It declares who I am in Christ Jesus, what he's done for me, what's available to me. This is my victory. I, I like victory. Amen. I, Throw a ball at me, I don't care. I like victory. You know, I, I'm of the persuasion. You know, people say, well, it's not whether you lose, it's how you play the game that counts. That statement was what made by somebody who's never won. Because if you've ever won, you wanna win again. Amen. 
Now that doesn't give us an excuse for being a bad sport when we lose. But the very nature of a game is to win. If you're not playing the game to win, why play the game? Jesus won. We don't have to experience defeat. Jesus won. When we focus upon him, we focus upon victory. When we focus upon him, we focus upon overcoming. Every one of us. In this room, we have issues. I'm not supposed to talk about sin anymore because it's not politically correct. And so we don't have sin, we have issues. So every one of us, we have issues. But if you focus on the issue, you give the issue strength. But when you focus on overcoming the issue, how Jesus has overcome the issue, you walk in the victory that belongs to you through Christ Jesus. What does the enemy want to do? He wants you to think about you. He wants you to focus on you. And he won't remind you of your victories. He'll always remind you of your defeats to get you to feel worthless, to get you to feel defeated, to get you to feel shame, to get you to feel guilt. All of that to bring you back into bondage once again. Christ did not set you free to bring you back into bondage again. For it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do you hear me? It was for freedom that Christ set you free, that you might walk in freedom. Hebrews, the third chapter, the 13th verse, or excuse me, the first verse. Hebrews 3, 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, <laughs> most of us, we read that and think, who's he talking about? He's talking about you, holy brethren. I like the sound of that. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Whew, getting better. Consider the apostle and high priest of your confession. What are you talking about? Are you talking about him or are you talking about you, Jesus Christ, who is faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house is more honorable than the house. Jesus built the house. That's why Jesus receives the honor. We are the temple. We are the house, the abode of God. God lives in us. But when we begin to focus on the house, we begin to focus on that which deserves less glory. 
Our focus needs to be on the builder. Our focus needs to be on Jesus. Our acknowledgments need to be acknowledging what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Holy cow, I got two whole pages left. I thought I was getting to the end. Let's turn to Titus. Titus, the second chapter, in the 11th verse. It says, for, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's appeared to all men. It says, desire for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. But remember the start. It's through grace. It's by the grace of God that we live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age because of what Jesus has done for us. Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Everybody say this. Sin, sin. shall not have dominion over me. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. So we could say it this way. Because you're under grace, sin has no dominion over you because sin finds its dominion over you through the law. So if you focus on the law, on the law, sin begins to have dominion over each and every one of us. Hebrews 12, 14 through 16, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no, no one will see God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Why is Paul telling us this? Because he knows that people have and that people will fall short of the glory of God or the grace of God. How do we fall short of the grace of God? We try to live in our own strength and our own ability. We try to do it in our own wisdom. Looking carefully lest anyone falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or defamed person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sowed his birthright. But notice <clears throat> the root of what he's talking about. He's talking about lest there be found in you a root of bitterness. And how does that root of bitterness, what does that mean? That, that means you, you feel at odds with somebody, you're envious of somebody, you look down on somebody, you feel cheated by somebody, you feel like 
you're not getting your just reward. And what he's saying here is when we fall from the grace of God, one of the consequences of that is that there will be found in us a root of bitterness. Well, why did they get that? I worked harder than they did. I deserved it more than they deserved it. That, I, don't, I don't know why they got that promotion. I work way harder than they work. I don't know why they got that reward. I've done so much more. And so what happens is there's a root of bitterness. Why does the root of bitterness come in? It, become, it comes in because you're not trusting in the grace of God. You're trusting in yourself to reap the rewards. Galatians 5.4 It says, You have been estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Here's my message. The consequence of falling from grace. We're talking about falling from grace. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. When I'm talking about falling from grace, I'm talking about ceasing to put your trust and confidence completely in the completed works of Jesus and you begin to put your trust and your confidence in yourself. We have an example of this in the Bible. If you turn over to Luke 15, and we'll close with this. In Luke 15, we have the example of the prodigal son. And you're all familiar with the story how there was this young man. He came to his father one day and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. In other words, what he's saying is, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. And so give me my inheritance now. And, and the father, he did it. He had two sons and so he he split up his inheritance, which, which was against tradition and everything, but he did it. He gave them their inheritance. And you know the account how uh, the younger son took his inheritance and he went off, and the Bible says he, he wasted it all in loose living. And eventually, <clears throat> he had connected himself with a, with a farmer, a pig farmer, and it says that he was out in the, in the fields uh, feeding the swine, and wishing that he could eat the pods that they were feeding the pigs because he was so hungry, he had absolutely nothing. Great place for a young Jewish boy to be. Just a thought. <clears throat> and so here he is, he's, he's feeding swine, has absolutely nothing to his name, and the lights come on. The Bible says, I like the new, way the New American Standard puts it, it says he came to his senses. You know, for each and every one of us, there, there has to come that point where we come to our senses. Where we come to realize what I'm trying to do in my own strength and my own ability, it's not cutting it. And so we put our trust and confidence completely in him. And so it says he came to a sense and he says, my father's servants have more than enough. 
I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say to my father, I am no longer worthy to be considered one of your sons. Treat me as one of your servants. And he got up. He left the pig pen. And he headed back for his father. And it says that his, his father saw him at a distance. So we're, we're left with the impression we don't know how long a period of time this has been, but we're left with the impression that every day the father was searching the horizon looking for the return of his son. And on this particular day, his son, he saw him at a distance and he recognized him and it says he ran to him. And his son said to him, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be considered your son. Treat me as one of your servants. The father says, bring a ring for his finger, bring sandals for his his feet, bring a robe for my loss, my son who is lost has been found. He was dead and he's alive. And he said, go kill the fatted calf and let's have a party. My son's come home. But you see, he had two sons. He had another son who was out in the fields and he came in from the fields and he heard the noise, he heard the sound of music. Not the musical, but he heard the sound of music. And he wouldn't go in. And he said, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years. I have been serving you and never transgressed your commandment at any time. Oh, give me a break. Now, my boys were good boys, but I'll guarantee you something. They transgressed some of my commandments. But see, this is what this is what prod does to you. This is what super hyper spirituality does to you. You no longer need Jesus because you're perfect. Gag me with a spoon. I guess that's outdated, isn't it? <laughs> Never I never transgressed your commandments at any time, yet you have, you never get, you, and you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has uh, devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. You know what? He was um, what, what's the word of one? embittered towards his brother. Why? Because he compared. I've been the good son. He's rotten. I've followed your word. He didn't. I've still got all your possessions. He wasted it all. And so I'm worthy. Let's bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. How many times have we been in that same position? 
where we look around and we somebody, see somebody and they get a blessing in their life. And you know what? The Bible says that we're to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. But you know what? We can't rejoice with those that rejoice because why did they get and I didn't? I'm the one that deserved it. We can't weep with those that weep because after all, they got what they deserved. Well, that's a real Christian attitude. You know, I've often said this. If I'd met some of the Christians I met after I became a Christian, before I became a Christian, I'm not sure I would have become a Christian. We wonder why the world doesn't want to listen to what we have. Could it be? Because we say one thing and we live something totally contrary to it. And we live something totally contrary to it because we're trying to do it in our own strength and in our own abilities. Let me tell you something, it's a guarantee. If you're trusting in your works for your identity, you will always look down at some and you will, um, you will elevate yourself over others because you're doing it in your strength. But you know what? When we know it's all about Jesus, that I am what I am, I have what I have, I can do what I do because of Jesus, the Jesus in me. I don't have to judge anybody else. I don't have to feel inferior to anybody else. I remember when I first started going to the ministerial meetings, I was so intimidated. Most of those people had more letters behind their name than I had in my name. You know, I went to the Christian Outreach School of Ministries. Whoopie-doo. It's not even there anymore. I closed the place down. <laughs> but I'd be so intimidated. But then one day I realized something. I have something they don't have. I have a Jesus that loves me who saved me from hell. I have the Holy Spirit that lives within me to guide and direct my life. I have a Father that has promised me that through Jesus and the works of the Holy Spirit, He would supply every possible need that I could ever have in my life. And I realized something. I have something they're only dreaming about. And it's a reality in my life. Is Jesus a reality in your life? You don't have to be jealous of or look down upon the prodigal. Because you have a father that loves you so unconditionally that he's provided every need that you might have in your life. Just as the older brother 
What the father finally said to him? He said, son, everything that I have is yours. But oftentimes we're in that position because we focused on self rather than focusing on Jesus. We're still trying to get something that's already ours. Saints of God, you're already blessed. Saints of God, you're already filled with the graces of God. You have healing, you have prosperity, you have deliverance. You have everything that is needful for life and godliness. It abides within you right now. Believe it. Focus on it. Live it. And allow Jesus to work and live through you. It says that because of the attitude towards others, they were defiled. You know what defilement will do to you? It'll bring shame. It'll bring guilt. It'll bring fear. It'll bring hopelessness. It'll bring all that is negative to manifestation in your life. The consequence of falling from grace. Well, we're not gonna fall. If we've trusted in self, we repent. We turn from it and we put our trust and our confidence back in Jesus. For he's not simply the author, he's the perfecter of our faith. And we trust him completely. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's our all in all. Jesus. So Father, we thank you that you provided us with the way. We're so grateful that through the Holy Spirit you revealed yourself to us. And Father, I thank you that we have chosen to follow you. Father, where we've fallen short of your grace, remind us of that, that we might turn from that and put our trust in you. And so Father, today our confession is that we walk by faith and not by sight. That we trust your grace in every area of our life. That through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, everything that is needful for life and godliness has, has been imparted into our lives and we receive it. Lord, we choose to walk in it. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. As you go, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Walk in his peace, his grace. And may he guide you every step of the way.
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.